This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay, Parshat Vayeshev. Perik Lamed Chas Pasukalov says, "Vayiba Yisehi Vayird Yehuda Meizachav Vayit Ad Isha Dulam Yishmochira." Was at that time Yehuda went down from his brothers and he turned to an Isha Dulami, a man from Adulam, and his name was Chira. Pasuk Beis Vayarsham Yehuda Vasish Kenani. Yehuda saw there the daughter of a Kenani man, Ushmo Shua. The name of that Kenani man was Shua. So he took his daughter Yikachel. He took that daughter as a wife Vayavoila, and he was together with her. So Rashi says Yehuda became a partner with Chira in some type of business. Spent a lot of time with him away from his brothers, which seemingly caused him to hang out with his people. Here is people. Eventually leading him to marry another merchant's daughter, you know, somebody who was out there. This was without a question a Yerida. And for that reason, the Parsha starts off with the word Vayered. It was Yerida for Yehuda to have gone to other people instead of hanging out with his brothers with the Shvatim. Who was this man, Chira? It's the Medrash Rabbah and Pehe brings two opinions. The Rabbanans say this is the same person as Hiram, the king, king of Tzur, who helped Shlomo Melech build the base of Mikdash. The crazy thing about this Medrash is that that means that he lived for almost 1,100 years altogether. Rabbi Yehuda, son of Rabbi Simon, says he only lived for 500 years. That's it. He only lived for 500 years. Hiram, the king of Tzur, was somebody else entirely. Either way, both opinions of the Medrash was either that he lived for 1,100 years or 500 years. If he's 1,100 years and you're dealing with the oldest person of all time, older than Mishushalach in 969, that's what we're dealing with. But even so, we're talking about somebody who was at least 500, according to this idea of the Medrash. Now, what happened to him? And then you get a Machlokas Midrashim. Derech Eretz Zuto, which is a small little Masakta at the end of the first parak, says that he went to Ganadin alive, that he's one of the nine people who went to Ganadin alive. But it could be, there's another Medrash that says he was punished very badly for his terrible pride and his ego. He was killed by Nebuchadnezzar by having his flesh uh, stripped off of his body and he ate it until he died, which is absolutely disgusting. But that's that's the idea. It says that's the Rabbanon, that's Rabbi Yudah and Simon, and we know what happened to him to the end of the day. But that's Chira Melech Tzur, not Chira. Was Chira Chiram? It's possible. One opinion says yes, one opinion says no. So the Torah Shlema says it seems that every Rishon Achron take this matter to be literal, that Chira lived either 500 or 1100 years. But there is a Hadr Zakenim. Hadr Zakenim is a Baltosos that says that Chira and Chiram were from the same family. And the love that Chira had for Shevet Yehuda lasted the 500 years until Hiram, the king of Tzor, when he took over and built the base of Mikdash. So he doesn't believe that the words 1100 and 500 are from the Medrash itself. It seems that it was added on by someone who says, and it seems that he lived for 1100 years, etc. There's some other things in the Balitos over there about the Yudin being Mitsuyanin over here. I don't know what he's talking about. The Balitos say that the word Adulami appears three words over here. Adulami, Adulami, Adulami. Because the gematria of all three plus those two hays is the same as Shlomo Melech, if you add on the two words. It's 472. Shlomo Melech is 472, if you add on the two words. Adulami, ho Adulami, ho Adulami is 472. Because this Adulami was the same person who worked for Shlomo Melech altogether. That's what the Balitos say over here. Again, if it wasn't the same person, if Chira is not Chiram, then it just means that the family continued all the way to the times of Shlomo Melech. The Nitziv doesn't understand why the name is brought up at all. Who cares who Chira was? Chira doesn't add a single thing to the story. And we very well could have said that a messenger tried to bring his gift to Tamar later on. What does Chira have to do with anything? What's the shot? So he says, it's a muscle to the future. In order for great things to happen, great people from other nations are going to be involved. We'll call this myself with some Lebanon. 
Aviram helped build the first base of Mikdash. Darius II helped build the second base of Mikdash. And I know Darius II might have been Jewish because he might have been Esther's kid. Let's assume that he wasn't. And number three, right, the third base of Mikdash, when Mashiach comes in the future, it seems that the kings of the world will help him gain popularity and do what he needs to do. See Yeshayim, Perak Memtes, Pasachav Gimel. Right, it seems that all the nations of the world are going to be helping over here. And so too, says in Nativ, that's why Chira over here was the one who helped Yehuda. He's the Pshat. We're trying to show you what it's going to be like in the future, and that's the reason why we bring him up over here. On the other hand, the Shach says that this is a great-grandchild of of Cain, not literally a great-grandchild. I think, I don't even know if it went literally, because the only person who could possibly be that way is Nama. Nama is the only person who could have survived from the family of Cain. If Nama is the Nama who is the sister of Tuval, Cain, etc., right, and, uh, you know, and goes through that family, if she survived and then she married Noah, there's another opinion that Nama was somebody else entirely. But if it was, right, then she's, he's from Cain in theory, I guess, in some way, although technically everybody's from Cain. Either way, the reason why is because Adulami are the letters of Al-Dameh, because of the blood that he had spilled. And Adulami is the gematria of Cain, if you add on the vav. Cain had killed his brother, and Yehuda had now done the same in his mind by selling Yosef. So they connected to one another. The two kids had the stain of Cain upon them, that's why they died. Says the Shach, that's what it means, that he was connected to Cain. The Chira was connected to Cain over here. And that's the reason why he was connected to Yehuda. The Chassam Sofer says there's one thing that Chira can be blamed for. If you have a friend who's doing something stupid, you immediately go up to him and tell him, stop it. You grab him away from that thing and you tell him, that's not what you should be doing right now. You don't deserve to be in that position. That's not what you should be doing right now. That's what you do to a good friend. Chira saw Yehuda turn off the road to talk to the Zona that was there. He should have immediately stopped him. He should have said to Yehuda, this is beneath your honor. You're a king. You don't belong over here. Get away from that person. Any one of his brothers would have done so. The Shvatim would have been there. And that's the reason why there's no Yehud by two people that are Chashuv. There's no Halach of Yehud, but Chira didn't. That tells us what kind of a person he was. He was a good friend. He was a terrible influence. And that's the Pshat Chira. And that's why Yehuda went down because of it. It's a type of person who, look, you want to be friends, you're friends. But no, the influence is the ter- worst you could have. Now, who is Shua? Who is this guy, Shua, whose daughter Yehuda married? So the Rokeach says, the word Shum. Vayar Shum Yehuda is added on here to tell you what Yehuda saw. He saw that she was very Tzenua. And as soon as he got to her area, he saw that this woman was a tremendous person. He felt that was a simon tov. Oh, wow, I found somebody who was like that. And he wanted to marry her because of it. So it wasn't really about Shua, says the Rokeach. It's really about her. The Balitosas say both he and Chira were tzaddikim, since it says their name after the word Shem is used. So sometimes it says the word like Paro Shmo. Well, that means that Paro is evil. But if it says Shmo Chira, Shmo Shua, the name before the actual name itself, Shmo Shua, Shmo Chira, that's why, that's how we know that somebody is a tzaddik. And that's why Yehuda hung out with them, married into their families, because they were tzaddikim in that way. The Shari Aaron says Shua means he was very generous with his money, right? We see an E of the Pasuk below Nikar Shua Lifnedal. The Shua, right, is not recognized as something bad in front of a poor person, which shows he was very hush of a person. The Medjish Rabbah says he was Botzina to Asrei, the greatest person in the light of the city, the greatest person in that city, which means it could be that he was the best person person there. The Baravasada says it means he never worshipped idols, which again, that's pretty special for that time. They didn't worship any idols. But Yaakov Kamenetsky says this was exactly Yehuda's hatter. This wasn't just another guy. He was very Chashuv. Therefore, I should be allowed to marry his Chashuv daughter. That's the idea behind it over here. Now, 
What about the problem that he was a Kanani? So Targum Onkelos and Targum Yonason both translate the word Kanani as Tagar, as a merchant. So it's clear they both held that Shul was a merchant, not an actual Kanani man. Rashi says the same, as well as the Radak. They both say the exact same way. Not only that, but you also see this in the Rashpan and the Chizkuni. They said they were, they were supposed to stay away from Kanani woman. And they bring examples that Kanani means a merchant. In Hoshea, Yud Beis Chas, Kanan Biado Mosne Mirmo, Yeshaya, Chavkimochas, Kananea Nichbede Aretz. And that's that. And the Orachim says a possible proof that she wasn't a Kanani woman is that the Pusuk says he was a Kanani. Sounds like she was not. Well, why not? Wasn't she her kid? His kid? So if he was a Kanani, then it must be that she was as well. Must be that he was a merchant and she was not a merchant. And that's the point, says the Orachim HaKadosh. Had the Pusuk wanted to tell us he had done something wrong by marrying her, it would have been more straightforward. You would have married a Kanani woman. And then everybody would have said, oh, I got it. And that would be that way. It could even be it's a Gilui Milsa, he says. That is not going to be that way. We're going to have a problem with this later on. But it seems pretty clear, right, that that's the idea, says the Orachim HaKadosh, that this referring to a merchant. So we got, again, Targum Oklos, Targum Yonason. We have Rashi, we have the Redak, we have Rashbam, we have the Chizkuni, and the Orachim. Now, the reason why I'm not bringing up the Ramban yet is because we're going to get to that in a second. Now, why wouldn't they? All of this is based on a Gemara Psachim Daf Nun. Gemara Nun says, how do we know it was an actual Kanani woman? Maybe she was an actual Kanani woman. The Gemara answers, since Avraminu told his son Yitzchak, I don't want you to marry a Kanani woman. And Yitzchak and Rivka told Yaakov to stay away from them as well. It seems likely Yaakov would have warned his children to stay the same. If the Avos did this, they said that they shouldn't marry a Kanani woman, then it makes sense that Yehuda never would have married a Kanani woman. Says the Gemara must be that she's not a Kanani woman. She was the daughter of a merchant. Why wouldn't they want to marry a woman of Kanani descent? Well, Rashi says, oh, Rashi, the Parsha's Noah says that she was cursed. All of Kananim were cursed to be avadim, avadim to their to their to yafes and to shame. It seems that they wanted to stay away from a cursed nation. They didn't want to be together with slaves. It could also be that the avos didn't want to marry anyone whose parents would be around and would have any influence over their children. Nobody wants to keep Christmas and Hanukkah. Why would you want that? So they said, "I'm not going to allow that." And that both reasons would apply for the shvat, and they shouldn't marry into the Kanani nation. And that makes sense over here. Now, here's the problem: Rashi in Lamed Zayin Lamed Hey, and it's just a few psukim earlier, just two psukim earlier, brings the opinion of Rabbi Nechemia that the daughters of Yaakov who came to console him were actually Kanani women. Rabbi Huda says that the Shvatim married their sisters. But Rabbi Nechemia says they actually married Kanani women who were married, that, and that's what they, they got married to. Now, hold on. That means not just Yehuda married Kanani women. All of the Shvatim married Kanani women. So the Sifzeh Chamim answers, no, no, no. It could be that those, child, those women were children of Kanani women who had married other men. So their children, because by Goyim you go by the father, it's patrilineal descent, not matrilineal descent. Their children would technically not be called Kananim. This woman that Yehuda married was without a question a Kanani man's daughter. So it's different. Rabbi Nechami said they married Kanani, Kanani woman, but they didn't marry actual Kanani woman. They married Kanani woman's daughters who were married to other people, and therefore they were technically not Kanani woman. But this guy, Shua, was for sure a Kanani man. So Yehuda definitely married a Kanani man's daughter. And that's why we're going on so crazy about this guy, right, about Yehuda, right, as opposed to the other Shvatan. And Achaz Yaakov answers, even Rabbi Nechami would agree with this. Yehuda was different from everyone else. Although the others could marry into the Kanani woman, but he was the king, Yehuda. He would have children who were going to be kings. He should have stayed away from Kananios on his own, even though the other Shvatan could marry them. So there's no problem. Rabbi Nechami says, the other Shvatan, yeah, they married Kananios. But Yehuda should not have. And that's the problem that he ended up marrying a Kanani man, a Kanani man's daughter. That would be the problem over here. And that's why he tries switching it and says it can't be that it's Kanani man's daughter. It's got to be a merchant. That's how the Nachos Yaakov answers for Rashi and how the Sifzachami answers for Rashi. That Rashi says over here, 
Right. If it was a Canadian man's daughter, there would be a major, major issue. Right. So therefore, because of that, it must be there was a merchant. So, okay. So that's the idea behind it. Even though the other Shvatim could have married, so to speak, Canaanite woman, the Ramban points out that they were able to marry women from many other nations. They could marry Moavi woman, Ammoni woman, Egyptians, Yishmaelim, the children of Keturah. It was only the Canaanite they weren't allowed to marry. Possibly, as we said above, because they were living in their land, or because, as we said above, that they were slaves to other nations. The exception was Shol ben Akananis. Shoal ben Akananis is specifically pointed out that way. And even the Midrashim say that was a reference to Dina's son. So I have no problem with that necessarily. And by the way, that also shows that Rabbi Nechemia's answer is a weird answer. Rabbi Nechemia said they all married Kanani women. Well, if they did, then why was Shoal known as Shoal ben Akananis? What happened to everybody else? Why wasn't everybody ben Akananis? That's that. He says, even Rabbi Nechemia in the Medrash above, when Rabbi Nechemia says they married the, the, the Kanani woman, that doesn't mean they married actual Kanani woman. It's just arguing on Rabbi Yehud. Rabbi Yehuda said that they married their sisters. Says Rabbi Nechamia, no, they married other people. It didn't mean literally Canaanim. It means any nationalities that could have been from any of the surrounding nations. That's what it means over there. He was saying, yeah, they didn't marry their sisters. That was the point. I'm just taking you away from the sisters themselves. The Marsha says in Psachim that seems Rabbi Yehuda held it was better for them to marry their own sisters, even though there's something the Torah in the future would forbid than marry anyone from another nation. It's possible that's what they held when it came to that. Of course, you could say that the Torah this is just big machlokes midrashim, right? But there's no reason to say machlokes midrashim unless you absolutely have to. Could be machlokes midrashim. Rabbi Nechemia holds a married Canaanite woman, and this medrash that has a problem with Yehuda and says Yehuda must have married a merchant's daughter is machlokes with that medrash. But you never go with that if you don't have to. The likelihood is the Ramban. It didn't actually mean that they married Canaanite woman. It meant people from outside. And that's why over here, this Kanani woman was also a merchant's daughter. And that's the idea. Or you go with Nachalas Yaakov, or you go with the Sif Logically, he says, it makes no sense to marry a Kanani woman. That means all their children would be half Kananim. And they were told not to leave any people in the land. As soon as they came to Eretz Kanan, they were told, Lo don't leave anybody alive. They had to destroy them when they came in. How could that be if they were all descended from Kanan? They were told to destroy the nation that they were from? It's gotta be that this guy was a well-known merchant from another land who lived among the Kananim. And that's why he was known as a Kanani. He was a merchant who lived that's why you would have married his daughter. He was well-known, a good person, says Ramban. That makes the most sense to me. Okay, that's that. So right now, we have all the opinions. Onkos, Yonas and Benazil, Rashi, the Redak. We have the Rashbam, the Chizkuni, the Orachayim HaKadosh. You have the Ramban that clearly says it. The Nachlas Yaakov and the Sizuchami that answer the Rashi from up above. But the Ibn Ezra brings us Trish as well. And the Ibn Ezra, as usual, Kedarka Ibekadosh, will argue on every single Medrash and every Gemara and say his own shot. He says, yeah, that's a Drush. But nonetheless, it makes more sense to say he married an actual Kanani woman. The Ramban adds on that according to this pshat, it's got to be that Yehuda's kids were so evil because they came from such questionable descent. They went in the ways of their mommy, right? And that the words Vayar Shem Yehuda actually means that he saw how beautiful she was, similar to Shimshon, looking at the beautiful woman of Pelishtim and marrying that. He desired her and married her only for that reason, which is a terrible reason to marry anyone. He never married just for looks. And therefore, his kids were killed. What an unbelievable line. Perhaps even Yaakovina was upset about this when he was dying and suggested they should not marry into the families that had any strain of the Canaanite within them. Like it's an unbelievable thing. Most Midrashim say that you that Yaakov Yunu said, I don't want anyone from my grandsons 
carrying my bed because there may have been Kenani descent over here. Here he's saying, no, I don't want any one of my grandsons marrying into the families of Shoal ben Kenanis or Shela because they were from Kenanios. Aaron Onan are dead already, right? But that's why, because I don't want them getting near the strain of the Kenanim. It's an unbelievable Ibn Ezra, if that's the way the Ramban understands it correctly. There's an opinion among the Balitos that until now, Yaakov had made sure that the Shvatim did not marry Kenanim because you know, he he was with them and making sure he married them off to the right people. But now he was busy with the mourning for Yosef, the Avelos of Yosef. So the Shvatim did their own thing. And Yehuda ended up marrying the Canaanese woman. One proof of the Ibn Ezra is Divriya Yamim. In Divriya Yamim Aleph, Perak Bez, Pasuk Gimel. Okay, that should be the easiest thing in the world. If you forget this after you learn it, I don't know what you can do. But in Aleph Bez Gimel, it says, Shlosha Noldulom Bivas Shua Canaanis. Three people were born from the daughter of Shua, the Kenani woman. Hakananis. She's not the daughter of a Kanani man. She was actually a Kananis woman, it says from, from Divrayama over there. That's a great proof to the Ibn Ezra that she was actually a Kananis woman. It's also a real problem with the Orachayim HaKadosh. Well, Orachayim HaKadosh said, no, it's just a Kanani man. It was never like that. But this is a straight out puzzle that says she was a Kananis woman. The Targum there, however, says, says she was a Prakmatisa. Targum says that she herself was a merchant, maybe to get around this issue. So she was the daughter of a merchant man who was a merchant woman. That still doesn't go with the Orachayim. The Orachayim was saying it's direct. It's only him, not her, right? Only he was a merchant, not her, right? But over here, we're saying straight out that she was a merchant as well. But regardless, that's a problem with the Yom. That's a Kasha on the Orachayim and a pretty good proof the Ibn Ezra. The Gurari also, the Maral, he also goes with this. He says the opinion of Rabbi Nechemia is in the Medrash. It's not just the Ibn Ezra that says they were married to Kanani woman. The Rabbi Nechemia is the Ibn Ezra. And even though the Avos didn't want to marry Kananios, that was before they were a real nation. Now they're a real nation. They've got so many people. Any Kanani that joins them through marriage is buttle to everyone else. Therefore, since this woman was willing to convert, this was perfectly fine for you to marry her. Rabbi Yudah argues that no, everything, even the woman of the nation, had to stem from the Evels themselves. They had no choice but to marry their half-sisters. That's who they ended up marrying. But in the end, Rabbi Nechemia, the, the, the opinion of Rabbi Nechemia, how that works all together, what was going to be with him, it seems very clear, says the Gur Aryeh, that they were actual Kanani women. So now we have the Ibn Ezra, the Gur Aryeh, and one of the Balaitosos that definitely says this over here, Schwab, says the greatest Kiddush of all time. I didn't see this idea anywhere else. There very well may have been Kananim that lived outside of Eretz Kanan. We find that by Devorah and Shoftim, Yavin Melech Kanan was still alive, even though Yeshua had thoroughly defeated the Kanan and the Kanan were gone. But Yavin still lived outside of Eretz Yisrael. It seems that they lived near Lebanon, up north, as well as on the east side of the Jordan River, the land of the Chitim. When Yeshua entered Eretz Yisrael, they were only commanded to destroy the nations living in Eretz Kanan, but not the Kananim living outside the land. There were Kananim living outside the land that they were not told to destroy. They may not have been as evil, and therefore they could have been allowed to remain alive. There is a famous Ramban in this in Parshish Matos and Masay, but that's not for Nayachukas as well. But we're not going to that right now. It was the Kananim in the land that were so evil that they couldn't marry into their families. And that's why Avram said, Avram said, I cannot allow Yitzchak to get a wife when he's talking to Eliezer, Asher Anochi Bekirbo. Because there are Kananim that I live among. I don't want him marrying women of these Kananim. Kananim outside of Eretzal, I don't have a problem with. But these Kananim. Rivka said, Mibnosa Aretz from the daughters of this land she had a problem with. She had a problem with the Kananim outside. The Kananim outside the land probably did business with their cousins inside the land. So in essence, there were two Kananim. The Kananim living in the land of Kanan and the Kananim that did business with the people living in the land of Kanan. And that's the merchant, Shua, 
was of the latter people. He was a Canaanite man living outside of Eretz Yisrael, so it wasn't so bad. And he was a merchant as well who lived in Eretz Canaan once in a while, which is why Yehuda was allowed to marry his daughter. So his official land was outside of Eretz Canaan. He was from the tribes outside of Eretz Canaan. But he came into Eretz Canaan quite often in order to do business whenever he needed to do so. Targum Yonason says clearly he was Megayer her before he married her, which possibly could answer our problem as well. Maybe the others wouldn't allow their married what their children, a married Canaanite woman, who refused to convert. But this woman willingly converted. Maybe that's pshat. But he was Megayer, says Targum Yonason. He was Megayer her, and he made her into Gioras. The Malbim argues that her name is not mentioned here since she never converted. That's why her name isn't here. She named her children evil names, which attributed to their early deaths. Only later, when Yehuda was able to take her away from her family, take her to Kziv, which is a different area, area, did he merit to convert her. And then she named her child Shayla, which was a solid name, and he survived. So again, in the original city, when she was with her parents still, she might not have worshipped the Vodazara, but she was not a convert, so to speak. And that's why her children ended up dying. But when she went to Kziv, then you would have converted her completely. That's when she named her child Shayla, solid name. He survived everything and went all good. Now, Chassam Sofran Gittin Abdaf Tzadi asks, how is it possible that you can convert without a Beisden? How can you make a Ger or a Gioris without a Beisden over here? So the truth is, you could really ask the same question about the converts by Avramid or by Osnas and Yosef. How did Avramid make Gerim? There was no Beisden. There was nobody else around. How did Osnas become converted by Yosef? Now, I know Osnas could have been the daughter of Dina, and then you don't have the problem whatsoever. But let's say Osnas was not the daughter of Dina. Let's say it was the daughter of Potiphar, which is straight out in the Pshat and the Pasuk. How did Yosef convert her? And if you say, well, maybe he didn't. Well, the Rambam says that he did, that they definitely converted. How is that possible? There's no Sanhedrin. There's no Beisden. So it could be. In Sanhedrin Tazainuelf, says the Chsam Sofer, we say that Moshe represented the 71 Zakanim of Sanhedrin, right? And since he represented the 71 Zakanim of Sanhedrin, it was as if Sanhedrin was making a decision. Maybe that would apply here as well. These great men, Avram Avinu and Yosef Atzadik, were the actual Beisden. The Shechina was with them. Since the Shechina was with Avram Avinu, the Shechina was with Yosef Atzadik, even when he was in Golos. It could be they had the ability to be like Sanhedrin or Beisden, and they could make Gerim on their own. But that was Yudah's mistake. He assumed the Shechina was with him as well. He assumed that that Shechina was there. And therefore, he could be Megayer, this girl, on his own. Right? He could do everything on his own. There was no problem. But the Shekhinah had left Av- Yaakov Avinu, Yehuda, and his brothers when Yosef was sold. That was the problem over here. The Shekhinah had already left Yaakov, and that's why he didn't have Ruach HaKadosh, left Yehuda and the brothers. It went with Yosef down to Mitzrayim. That's why Mitzrayim was able to have food while no other land, every other land, went into hunger eventually. Because the whole shot is that since Yosef was gone, the Shekhinah went with. Now there was problems. Now there would be issues over here. And that's the shot. Yosef could be Megayer Asnas, but Yehuda could not be Megayer, uh, could not be Megayer, this lady, the daughter of Shua. This is the Arita referred to in the beginning of the parsha. She may have stopped worshiping idols. She could have accepted Yehuda's ways, but she had never really converted, which is why Yehuda's children were punished when they did such something that was over there. Because of that result, we can't learn from Yehuda that we could do the same, which the people of Nehemiah did. People, by the times of Nehemiah, married non-Jewish women, thinking if Yehuda did it, they could as well. But Yehuda had a thought process over here, thinking what he was supposed to do, and that was problematic because that wasn't right, and unfortunately it led to disastrous results for him and his children. Tiferes Yonasan says the most amazing thing I've ever heard before in my life. It's such a grape shot. You just want to punch someone in the face is such a grape shot. There's a strange medrash about David Melech that Yishai was afraid that he wasn't kosher to marry a Jewish woman. Remember, Yishai was the son of Oved, who was the son of, of Boaz. Boaz had married Rusa Moabia, paskined that it was mutter to marry a Moabi woman. Some people say that since you can't marry a Moabi man, you can't marry a Moabi woman either. So Yishai ended up 
marrying uh, well i'm sorry so boaz ended up marrying rus the moavia woman right and then died the next morning she became pregnant with Oved. Oved gave birth to Yisha. Yisha always had a problem. Am I really kosher to marry a Jewish woman or not? He married a Jewish woman, Nitzavis Basadoil, and he had nine children. He had the seven sons and two daughters that are mentioned throughout the throughout Navi and Shmuel Aleph. So he ended up having nine children because of that, and that was that. But he wasn't sure. If I'm a Moavi man, in other words, from the Moavi nation that's not allowed to convert, then I'm not really allowed to marry a Jewish woman. So he said, well, that my children are technically mamzerim. They're not kosher to marry anybody they want because they're not fully Jews. How do you get rid of an issue of descent? How do you get rid of mamzerus, of somebody who messes over their kids? There's only one way to be able to do this. If a mamzer wants to have a kid that can marry a regular Jewish woman, he has to marry a shifcha. Unfortunately, it does not work by woman, but he has to marry a shifcha. And then the kid that's born is a slave because it goes after the mom, not by the father. And then you free that slave. And by freeing the slave, that kid is mutter lekahal. So here's what Yishai did. Yishai propositioned his shifcha. And he said to her, I want to be together with you in order to have a child. Now that shifcha ran immediately to her to her master and said to Nitzavah's Basadol, look what your husband just said, right? He wants to get rid of it. What should I do? Nitzavah's Basadol said, I'll take your place. So Nitzavah's Basadol, right, who is now separated from Yishai, ended up going into the area which the shifcha should have been in. The shifcha was together with another man. She became pregnant. Nitzavah's Basadol became pregnant. Now Yishai thought that the shifcha's child was going to be his. Nitzavah's Basadol she became pregnant and nobody knew who the kid was. David Amelech was born and no one had any clue who was. That's why when Shmuel and Avi came, he said, where are your sons? They brought out seven. And then he said, after we went through all seven and said, none of them are the king, he said, do you have any other sons? And Yishai's like, well, there's one other guy. He didn't even know about that other guy. Nitzavah's Basadol stepped up and said, yeah, David Amelech is yours. She had never told Yishai what had happened over here because she never wanted him going back to the Shifcha and doing it again. So that's the reason why she never told him. But that's the shot. Yishai, in order to be Metahir, his sons, wanted to be together with the Shifcha in order to free the slave afterward. Maybe Yehuda had the same issue. Yaakov Avinu married two sisters, which means the children would be considered mamzerim for being involved in the relationship of Arias. And the children would have a problem. Maybe the children wouldn't be able to marry anybody that you could. So he specifically married a girl who was a Kanani. He specifically married a girl from Kanani who were avadim, made as avadim from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, in order to free his children after he was together with this Evid Kenanis woman, Shifcha Kenanis, and then after freeing the children, he allowed them to marry whomever they wanted to. That was the whole purpose, and he freed Er and freed Onan and freed Shela. Maybe that's the reason why all of the Shvatim married Kenanios, says Rabbi and Ibshitz, for this very purpose, so their children would not be considered Mamzerim. That's why they all married Kenanios, on purpose, in order to free their kids, to make sure there was no Shash of Mamzerim. That's Rabbi and Ibshitz, that's possibly the greatest thing I've ever heard in my life. But not to be outdone, Rev Wolfson says the most amazing thing that I've ever heard in my life, the greatest word of all time. Even if you say that the word Kanani is referring to a merchant, why would you use that word? Why is why is the word Kanani referring to a merchant? So he explains. The seven nations of Eretz Kanan connect to the seven spheros of the Kalipos. Now, although we don't know exactly what these things are, in Kedusha, we know they are Chesed, Gevura, Tiferes, Netzach, Hod, Yisod, Malchus. That's what it refers to over here. 
just like there's seven in Kedusha, there's seven in Tuma as well. Now, each one of those seven spheres of Klipos, those seven spheres of Tuma, the shells of Tuma as we call them, have seven nations that are opposite those seven. So in other words, each one is different. There's Chesed in Tuma, Gevura in Tuma, and each one is a nation of the seven nations of Canaan. Canaan specifically is opposite the Mida of Chesed. Now, the way it works is whatever is true by Kedusha is the exact opposite in the Klipos world. If Chesed rules over Gevura and Kedusha, right, because we see that Hashem wanted to make the world in Gevura, but he made it with Chesed instead, that Avram Vinu in the Akedah was the Baal Chesed who shechted Yitzchak or wanted to shecht Gevura, right? That's how it works in Kedusha. Chesed rules over Gevura and Kedusha, but in the other side, in the side of Klipos, of Tuma, Gevura rules over Chesed. That's the idea over here. Thus, chesed on that side is known as kenani. What's kenani? They're machnia themselves to the level of gavura. The word machnia means they bend themselves over. Kenani means to bend yourself over to somebody else. That means that chesed, which is kenani, they are machnia themselves. They're, by definition, they are below the level of gavura. Now, what's the difference between both sides? That's the manner of chesed that happens. In Kedusha, chesed means you're doing something selfless without you gaining anything at all. You're not thinking about yourself. You want to do it for the other person. In Tuma, chesed means you have ulterior motives. You, the mashpia ends up being the mushpa, gaining the most from his giving. Thus, a merchant is known as a kanani. A kanani wants to sell. He's showing off his wares to someone else. But really, it's all there to make a buck. The more that he praises an object and impresses upon others what he has, the more he wants to make from it. For that reason, a sochar, a merchant, is really a scharchar. That's where the word comes from. A circle that goes around and around because a merchant takes it right back for himself. It's going right back to him. So the definition of a merchant is someone that is filled with tuma dike chesed. A chesed with ulterior motives. With another reason, gaining by giving to somebody else. Thus, we go to the chesed of tuma, and that's called a kenani. Therefore, a kenani is a socher, is a merchant. That's how Revolson says it. Amazing. The Alshiksa asks why he mentions Shu over here, but we have no idea what his daughter's name was. But by Tamar, we see her name, but we don't know where her father was. He says the whole parsha was the beginning of the times of Mashiach. Had Yehuda not married this non-Jewish woman, he would have been successful to bring about Mashiach in a much quicker and easier fashion. We don't know how, but that's what would have happened had Yehuda done it properly and not married this Bas Kananis. Now that he married Bas Shua, everything was ruined. Aaron and Onan weren't good enough. They had to die so their Neshams could come back a second time as Parrots and Zarach through Tamar in order to give through the secret of Yibam to allow for Malchus Beis David to be brought about. That meant that Aaron Onan had to die at a very young age and that David Amelech almost died as a baby. All that happened because the al says because Yehuda wanted to marry this non-Jewish woman. Now Revolson says this is Yerida on his part, but he knew it. He purposely did it. He thought this Yerida was necessary for the best thing for the rest of Klai He knew Gullus was starting. He assumed they would need someone to go into the Makom Tuma, into the area of Tuma, pull out the Kedusha they could find there, and make it easier to survive among the other nations. So Yehuda took it upon himself. I can do this, he said. I'm going to marry into the other nations. I'm going to pull out the Kedusha from them. I'm going to show you how even Gullus could be awesome and how a person can improve even through Gullus. And he did it on purpose, going into the Makom Tuma. But he was wrong. Only Yosef Atzadik could be that great. Only Yosef Atzadik could go into a Makom Tuma and pull out the Kedusha. You would have thought he could do it. He was the man to be able to do it, but he was wrong. 
Yosef Atat can do it. No one else can do it like what Yosef Atat was able to do. In fact, there's a medrash that says just like this. The medrash Galdo says a dog walked by an Avela. He sniffed it, and then he walked away. An Avela, a dead corpse. A lion that walked by and ate it. So everyone laughed and said the dog rejected it. Why would the lion eat what a dog rejected? Asav saw the evil of the daughters of Canaan and decided to marry someone else. And Yehuda comes along and married one? Because he tried to do it correctly, and it didn't work. The Igrid Akala says he was fooled by the name. Shua has the same letters as Esav. So he thought that one was opposite the other. In order to defeat Esav, he would need the power of Shua. It didn't work, since the child who would eventually defeat Esav actually came from Tamar. But that child was a Gilgal of the child born through Shua's daughter. So there could have been something that he was right about. So he was a friend of Chira, stands for Chirus, as in freedom. Adulam is Adolam, for Mashiach to be there forever. That's what Yehuda saw and understood that, that this Mashiach ben David is going to come from him. And he assured him, it assured him that he was making the right decision. Unfortunately, it was not the right decision. All right, have a good job, everyone.